listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, Do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has just never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. Good morning, everyone. I love G.K. Chesterton. Uh, he's one of my favorites, and uh, we'll talk some more about him in just a minute. So this Sunday is the first Sunday of a new series for us. It's the Epiphany season, and we've titled this series The Gospel Truth. As Chesterton was saying in this quote from his book, God is a creator, and God doesn't tire of creating. God doesn't get bored. He doesn't get anxious. He doesn't get nervous. He's not kind of bothered by the things that we get bothered by. He's not, um, you know, when, when troubles or trials or tribulation or turbulence kind of fill our lives, whatever that might be, a pandemic or cultural upheaval, that, that doesn't affect God the same way it affects us. God is kind of un, unmoved, right? Um, I loved it. The, the opening quote, I just wanted to, the opening part of that quote, I wanted to read it to you again. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown up person does it again until they're nearly dead, right? So if you've, if you've been around an infant, if you've been around a toddler, they're not, they don't, they don't get bored. They don't get anxious. They're just, they're just living life. It's that kind of sense of joy, that sense of hope that I think is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he says that the kingdom of God is like a child and that we have to be kind of like a child in order to fully appreciate the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean, as I've said this before, it doesn't mean we have to be childish, right? But it does mean we have to be childlike. 
And epiphany is all about manifestation. It's about revelation. Epiphany is about showing us who God truly is. And so too often, I think, we've thought about God as kind of a grumpy old man, that God is like a judge. You know, as Jonathan Edwards would say, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Um, Brian Zahn wrote a book a few years ago kind of offering an alternative view of that. He titled it, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. And I think that's exactly the God that we have, that the God who created, the God who uh, loves us, the God who made us, we see most fully, most truly in the person of Jesus. So Jesus is the truest and fullest revelation of who God is. And so we can see as we look at the life of Jesus what God is like. And sometimes I will hear people say, like somebody say, well, God is love. And somebody else will say, well, yes, but God is also just. As if to suggest that somehow that God's justice and God's love would ever be at odds with one another. But, but God's not so self-divided. God's justice is also for our good. God's justice is not just punitive. God's justice is restorative. It restores us because God loves us. He's always working in our favor. And he, he is just um, infinitely happy and joyful. And it's that life that he has to give to us. So today, on the first day of Epiphany, it is the tradition of Christian churches to celebrate the baptism of Jesus, which was an epiphany of who Jesus is, right? He is the beloved son of the Father. We'd like to start by looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. So here we have, um, in Mark chapter 1, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And the people from, all, from the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong in his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Amen. So there are a few features of Mark's account of this telling, right? So all the Gospels in one way or another will talk about Jesus' baptism. Um, John, not so much, but a little bit. But Mark's particular telling of this story has a few features that I want to highlight for us. The first is this, that when Jesus comes up out of the water, Mark tells us that Jesus sees the, the skies, the heavens being torn apart. It's, it's a word that, that, that means tearing. Now, in Matthew and Luke, they'll say that the heavens were kind of opened. But 
some of the early church thinkers said, like, listen carefully to how Mark tells the story, because that which is opened, I guess, has the potential of being shut. But that which is torn apart doesn't get mended. Now, Mark will only use this verb that means to tear twice in the whole gospel. He uses it here at the beginning of the gospel to talk about what was happening when Jesus was baptized. And he uses it one last time in chapter 15 when it talks about the veil being torn in the temple. That is, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. That giant curtain that kind of kept God apart. And so what I think is happening here, as you can kind of see, this is a retelling of the story of creation. That God created the heavens and the earth. And they were kind of two separate things. They were, there, it was here and there. But this, this kind of... Um, kind of chaos or kind of the, the tearing of the heavens kind of recreates or kind of retells that story of creation. And anything that might have kept us from God is now being torn apart, right? Not only are the very heavens being torn so that heaven can come to earth or the skies are being torn so that heaven can come to earth, but even symbolically, in the temple, that curtain that would have separated God from the people is also being torn. And my prayer is that we might experience just that, that we might experience that revelation, that we might experience that epiphany, that God doesn't want to be God without us. God wants to be God with us. And being with us is one of kind of God's top priorities. And God is the one that's doing it. So God created. And in this story, we see God recreating, which is part of what I think Chesterton, again, was getting at in, in his book when he talks about, you know, the sun coming up and the moon coming up and the kind of the daisies kind of being there every day, that that's not simply kind of monotony that that's this kind of infectious, kind of eternal, unceasing kind of joy of the Father. Um, in fact, the Old Testament passage for today, which we're not going to take time to read, but the Old Testament passage for today is Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, which is the opening of the story of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was without void, or it was void, it was without form. And God kind of spoke to it so that it became day and night. Like, all of that is the activity of God. A second point that kind of makes Mark's version of this story stand out a little different is that the other gospel writers would say that the Spirit kind of descends on him, right? And it, it makes it sound like there's this kind of, I don't know, this kind of gentle kind of presence kind of just floating down. Again, I think that sounds a little bit like the creation story, right? So in the creation story, there's waters, and it says that the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. Again, that's Genesis 1. And so here we have waters. We have the, the water of the Jordan River, and we see, it says Jesus sees the Spirit descending like a dove. What makes, John, or excuse me, what makes Mark's version of the story a little different is, is, is a preposition. Now, I, I don't want to spend too much time on... On, or put too much weight on any given preposition, right? 
But it does say this, simply translated, it says that the spirit descended into him. Not, not simply on him, but, but in him. This, this kind of closeness, this kind of intimacy of the spirit, right? So here we see in, in Christian tradition, right, the Trinity. We, we hear the voice of the Father, or Jesus does. We see the baptism of Jesus. Jesus kind of sees the descension of the spirit. So we have, we have all of this kind of in the mix. But what might that mean for us is that in the same way that the spirit comes in, in, at his baptism and kind of comes into Jesus, he's coming into to all of us. Right, that the the spirit is not just close in the sense of like near us, but the spirit is actually in us, and it's not just in us, but that means that the spirit is also in the other. Like it's impossible for you to meet someone in whom the spirit of God is not in. So you know sometimes you'll hear theologians talk about. The, the omnipresence of God, meaning God is everywhere, or the omniscience of God, meaning that God is all-knowing, or the omnipotence of God, meaning that God is all-powerful. I think we probably should speak more of the omnibenevolence of God, that, that God is all-good and God is all-loving. But that one doesn't often get mentioned as much as the others, but it probably deserves more of our attention. But in particular, this idea of omnipresence, that God is everywhere, God is here with us at Oasis this morning. God is, is, is here with all of those who are tuning in this morning uh, via YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or what have you. But, and God is with all those who are watching this on replay. But God, God is so close that God is actually in us. And not just in us, but in quote-unquote them. Right? So uh, von Ruschbach, he was... Uh, a German uh, mystic, kind of a Christian monk. Um, he would say that, that when we talked about the way in which where God is, that would mean that God is even in the heart of the unregenerated person. Like there's no place in which God is not. I'm, I'm emphasizing this. I'm kind of hitting it pretty hard because I think this has a lot, a lot to do with the way in which we should think about others. And the way in which we should treat others. And the way in which we should act about others. So we put out a call, you know, for volunteers who would come to Blessings and Hope. Because when we provide or help to provide groceries for people who are hungry, right? We're doing it for those that God loves. We're doing it in whom God is. And when we think about others, particularly when we think about others in ways that might often be kind of divisive, we have to remember, like, it's necessary to think that God is in them. This, this kind of third point, Mark and Luke will do this too, but Mark records that Jesus personally heard the voice from heaven. Notice the second person singular. Lots of grammar today. Looking at prepositions, looking at person number. Forgive me for that. So the second person singular. This is not, this is not a third person like announcement. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right? This is, this is the second person. It says, you, you are my beloved. 
In you I am well pleased. Now, later in Mark's gospel, um, there's a story where, where Jesus goes up on a mountain and he's transfigured and, and Peter, James, and John see Jesus in kind of all of his glory. And in this kind of visionary experience, they all see Moses and Elijah and a voice, a cloud comes down and covers the mountain and a voice comes from the cloud and it says, this is my son. You know, it's in that third person and it, and it says, it just says, this is my son. It's, this is my son. Do what he tells you to do. <laughs> right? So Mark has a version of that type of story. But here, Mark's doing something different, I think. Here, as Jesus is coming out of the water, he sees the heavens torn. He sees the spirit descending into him. And he hears the voice of the father saying, you are my beloved in you. I am well pleased. This is exactly what happens at our baptisms. We are baptized into Christ. We are made new. Heavens are torn. Creation starts again. Some of the early thinkers would talk about Jesus being the the first, the baptism of Jesus being the first day of the new creation. It's, It's referred to as the eighth day. So we know in the Genesis story, there are seven days of creation, or six days in which God created, and then the seventh day of the creation story, he rests. But then at Jesus' baptism, this is like the eighth day. This is that new creation, that God is not just the one who kind of started these things. We're not... We're not deist. We don't believe that God was just a clockmaker and he kind of started things and then has gone on break for the last, you know, 15 billion years or something. But that God is actively involved in that which he makes and remakes and makes new and restores and loves and cares for and laughs and enjoys just like our children do just like we did when we were children. And so Jesus' baptism opens up a whole new world. Jesus' baptism is kind of the epiphany. And Mark's version of the story again, because we're telling Mark's version today, right? There is no nativity scene in Mark. So there's no story about Jesus' birth. It just kind of opens up saying, hey, this is the good news about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, that John the Baptist is out there crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, and he was baptizing, and here comes Jesus. So just think, it's hard for us to imagine this, but if we were to think about the Gospel of Mark as a story we had never heard before, right, as a novel that we were reading or as a movie that we were watching, This character, Jesus, is introduced right off the bat. And here's the revelation. Here's the epiphany, right? This is who he is. Um, We're being told about this person. He goes down in the water, and when he comes up out of the water, he sees and experiences all these things. The heavens are torn. The spirit descends. The voice of the Father. All of that. And that, then changes, literally, the early church believed, changed the very fabric of the world. Um, One seventh century thinker, his name was Maximus. I really love the guy. 
um, uh, several things I love about him is just he was a regular guy, right? He wasn't a deacon. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a bishop. He wasn't ordained. But he was a really good thinker. And um, when asked this kind of question about why Jesus got baptized, because it's a, it's a little bit of a conundrum. You know, John was baptizing for forgiveness of sins, and Jesus came and got baptized. Well, what, what, sin, did John, what sin did Jesus do, right? Uh, one of the other Gospels, they didn't make the cut. It's called the Gospel of the Hebrews. It's an extra Gospel. didn't make it into the Bible. Uh, it's, it's perhaps my favorite on this particular topic. When it tells that story, it says that Jesus' family comes to him and says, Hey, John is baptizing in the Jordan for forgiveness of sins. Let's go and be baptized. And Jesus is like, Well, why would I need to go? <laughs> why would I need to go get baptized? Is it just for forgiveness of sins? So that, that question came up a lot. And the New Testament Gospels deal with it in a variety of ways. Matthew will say that Jesus is not being baptized for forgiveness of sins, but he's being baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Luke does something a little different. John does something a little different. But I really, really like what Maximus did with this. Maximus said this. Jesus doesn't get baptized in order for the the water to kind of cleanse him from his sins. Jesus gets baptized in order to clean the water. So the water could then be used to clean the rest of us. That Jesus coming into creation sanctifies creation. Uh, like It's like dirt and soap, right? Um, dirt doesn't make soap dirty. Soap cleans dirt. Like if you, you keep applying the water to the soap, the, the, there's, there's no dirt there, right? It's the nature of it. Um, another story in Mark's gospel, which reminds me a bit of this, is the story of the woman with the issue of blood, right? So she was ritually unclean, right? So because of her condition, she was not supposed to be kind of out in public. Uh, she was supposed to be sequestered, quarantined. <laughs> Heard that before. And... <clears throat> If she were to go out, that would be kind of against the rules. And if she touched anyone, they too would become kind of ritually unclean. They would have to go into quarantine. <laughs> like, they couldn't go to the tabernacle. They couldn't go to the temple either. So she's kind of pressing the bounds of, of the, the law of the day. And so as she goes out and as she's pressing her way through the crowd, every person she's touching is becoming unclean. Like... Every person she's touching should have to go and then quarantine according to the Jewish laws. And as she reaches out to touch Jesus, again, according to the law, if she's unclean and she touches him, he should, be, he should become unclean. But when she touches him, not only does he not become unclean, but she gets healed. Because you can't damage God. Sin doesn't have an effect on God. Sin can't mar God any more than darkness can fight against light. Sin can't affect God any more than dirt can affect soap. It just doesn't work that way. That's why things are, that's why this is such good news. Like the whole series is titled The Gospel Truth, and the Gospel Truth is this. 
that our God, who is the creator of all things, is the recreator, right, of all things and makes us new. And that Jesus kind of coming into the world and Jesus being baptized sanctifies the very world in which God created. It sanctifies the air. It sanctifies the land. It sanctifies the water. That's the effect that God has on things. Things don't mar God. God cleanses. God renews. God refreshes. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I could use a little bit of refreshing. I'm a little fatigued. I'm a little weary. I'm weary about the political upheaval. I'm weary about the cultural upheaval. I'm weary about the, the, the pandemic and the disease. And I'm weary about the economic struggle that this has caused for people. I'm, I'm tired. I, I need a refreshing. I need those waters of baptism to to rush over me, to to make me new, to to revive me. And I think that's exactly what, exactly what this holiday, this day is supposed to do for us. Uh, one, One writer said this, as much as Christ's nativity was for all people, right? So Christ's birth, that's for everybody. So was his baptism. His baptism was for everybody. For in that action, the baptism, was a baptism of the entire planet. The entire earth became open to the salvific action of Christ through his baptismal immersion in the water. Chesterton quote ends with this, and this is what's been resonating in my, my mind and heart this last week as I've prepared to talk to you. The last line of that, of that quote that we showed in the video, it said this. It may be that God has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old. And our father is younger than we. For we have sinned and grown old. And our father is younger than we. But the good news is that there's forgiveness, that we can be forgiven, that we can be renewed, that we can come and be refreshed. And then hopefully, through God's grace, we can be a refreshing for others. We, we can be that, that, that source of, of joy or peace or love or hope or encouragement in their lives. The goodness and the gentleness and the love and the kindness and the patience and the self-control that are the the fruit of the Spirit. You know, that Spirit that has come into us, it results in those, those things which are not for us, right? But they're for others. And my prayer, my hope is that we can be that. We can be just that. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.